Hello, Twitter. I'm Saeed Jones. He is Isaac Fitzgerald. Our thoughts are with all of our Muslim friends and loved ones. Today is an incredibly difficult day. Here's a tweet from Jay. I opened a video thinking it was a news report about the Christchurch New Zealand attack, only to see it's a video of the immediate aftermath of the killing. I can't believe what I just saw. I'm so sorry that happened. And unfortunately, the New Zealand mosque shooter live streamed the attacks overnight. And that footage has been dispersed globally through all kinds of different social media platforms. Uh, this tweet from Shipyards explains what we can do on Twitter as users to avoid seeing this kind of content. So you go to your settings, uh, you go to settings, data usage, video and video autoplay. And that's how you can make sure this kind of video or graphic videos of uh, police attacks, anything, um, don't just automatically play as soon as they show up on your timeline. Yeah, if you don't have it off, you might want to turn it off and maybe consider keeping it off after this. Um, I will say a lot of these platforms are trying to pull this content as quickly as they can, but it keeps getting re-uploaded up. We're going to get into all of the news, but that is just a good place to start for yourself today. Absolutely. And obviously, this is a part of an ongoing conversation we've been having about tech companies and news organizations, you can't wait until a tragic event happens to take action. And for actually, and that's not just true just for technology, but also the way we talk about each other and culture. Absolutely. As always, please remember to take time today. If you need to step away, do so. Yeah. And with that, let's get into the news. Here's a tweet from BuzzFeed News with the latest. 49 people were killed in New Zealand. Multiple IEDs were found on the scene. Uh, one man has been charged with murder. Three other are in custody. New Zealand police are investigating a property of interest in Dunedin. AFP reporter Dave Clark notes that in 2017, there were 48 homicides in New Zealand. There have been 49 so far today. My goodness. Deputy Breaking News Director David Mack joins us now. Hello, David. Hi, guys. All right. So at this point, what do we know about how these two attacks happened? So the timeline is roughly this. Uh, yes, uh, uh, on Friday afternoon, New Zealand time, local time, at about 1.45, uh, a man walked into the Al Noor Mosque in uh, Christchurch, which is on the south. It's the biggest city in the South Island of New Zealand. It's about 400,000 people that live there. He uh, opened fire. He killed uh, 41 people in that mosque. He then drove to another mosque, the Linwood Mosque, and killed seven more people. Uh, and uh, uh, another person has since died in hospital, bringing the death toll there to 49. Police have arrested a man uh, in his 20s. He's believed to be an Australian man. Uh, they found multiple uh, explosive devices in his car. We also know that, as you guys mentioned at the top, before this happened, he uh, posted on a website called 8chan, which is kind of uh, one of those chat room, uh, chat board websites that's really home to uh, very far right, uh, real scum people. He uh, basically announced on this website that he was going to go and do something. He provided a link to his Facebook page. Um, and on that page, as you guys said, he live streamed uh, essentially the whole shooting. Uh, the video was extremely disturbing. It showed him walking into the mosque and opening fire, people running for cover. Uh, and that video was then uh, recorded by some of those people on that website and shared on other platforms, as you guys have said, not just Twitter, but on YouTube and on Facebook and elsewhere on the internet, and uh, also disturbingly by some news media websites as well. So, Dave, I want to ask, what do we know at this point about the victims, about the communities where this shooting took place, these shootings took place? 
So we haven't had any victims formally identified yet. It's the middle of the night there in New Zealand at the moment, and they're still obviously uh, investigating. Uh, we know that New Zealand <clears throat> has a Muslim population of around just over 1%. So there's about 45,000 Muslims in New Zealand. Uh, the country has taken in several Syrian refugees, obviously, as well. Uh, and uh, it's believed that some Syrian refugees are among the dead, according to local New Zealand media. So really compounding the awful tragedy there that these people who fled violence in their homeland only to come to New Zealand, one of the safest countries in the world, and to meet such a horrific end. Mm. Circles and circles of sorrow. Um, what at this point, and I know it's very early. I'm not. I have no interest in pushing you to speculate beyond what is responsible. But what do we know about the suspects? It, I believe it's more than one person. Police have only charged one person so far with murder. As you guys said, there've been a couple of other people that have been arrested, uh, and the. Police are also searching a property uh, in Dunedin, which is a couple of hundred miles south of Christchurch as well. So we still don't know. Uh, they haven't formally named the suspect. The Australian Prime Minister has said one of those arrested is Australian. Uh, and in a manifesto that was posted online uh, by the suspected gunman, he did identify as Australian. Uh, and local media in Australia have also identified him there as well as someone who grew up in New South Wales in a rural town in northern New South Wales. Uh, it, we don't know much about him. We know what he's presented to the world. It's believed this manifesto uh, contains, he, he's written a lot of horrible things in here, obviously, about Muslims uh, and uh, perpetuating sort of uh, white nationalism. But he's also written, it seems like a lot of kind of intentionally uh, sarcastic things that have been designed to kind of trip up people and make the media look foolish. There's a lot of speculation that um, this is a kind of... Uh, He's written this for the um, the 8chan website. He's basically uh, steeped in their language. He's steeped in meme culture. Uh, and it's obviously very, very disturbing that uh, this kind of hatred has uh, obviously left the online space and come to the physical world in the most horrific way. David, I want to ask, just real quick, getting back to you saying that New Zealand is one of the safest countries in the world. What has the reaction of the country been there? I just retweeted a video of one man's reaction basically seemed very heartbroken and disturbed. Uh, what are we seeing coming out of New Zealand today? I think we watched the same video there. I think that was a man in New Zealand who was uh, just a, a, basic, a white guy in New Zealand basically just turning up at his local mosque, not in Christchurch, just to leave flowers uh, and just obviously extremely shaken by what's happened. New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern has called it one of the darkest days in her country's history. She's had no qualms in labelling this a terrorist attack. Uh, this is a New Zealand. I'm from Australia. New Zealand and Australia have a very close relationship. It's kind of like Canada and the States. Um, New Zealand's a small country, 4.5 million people, and uh, they're going to be feeling this uh, this very hard in the next few days because it's just uh, in any country this would be a, a horrific incident to have to endure. But I think because of New Zealand's size, um, it's, uh, it's going to be particularly difficult. Right. Well, David, thank you so much for joining us this morning. You're welcome, guys. Here's a tweet from BuzzFeed UK reporter Mark DiStefano. Uh, New Zealand police have urged people and outlets, as we have mentioned this morning, not to spread the terrorist first-person video. I would also add the same is true for the manifesto. In spite of that warning, uh, the Daily Mail and The Sun, two British tabloids, ran gifts of their, uh, on their homepages of the shooter about to open fire and edited videos. The Daily Mirror ran a three-minute video, including him shooting at people. Mark joins us now. Hello, Mark. G'day, guys. How are you? 
Doing okay, but I wanted to ask, are you surprised that UK tabloids are being the absolute worst about this? Can I just say the simple answer to that is no. Uh, the British tabloids have a long reputation of ignoring warnings and uh, going ahead and doing things that are going to, I guess, juice up their coverage, whether it's to do with crime or terrorism or sporting events or gr any sort of gruesome footage. Um, and as you guys said, oh, as the tweet said in the intro there, the New Zealand police were very clear when uh, in the wake of this attack, they knew that this video was bouncing around the internet and there was kind of this, you know, warning, you know, can you just not be, you know, spreading it and amplifying it? And the three big ones that uh, you mentioned there, which is the Sun and the Daily Mail, they're on the right wing in, in Britain, and the Daily Mirror, which is on the left, in, is still a tabloid in Britain, um, have kind of flouted that. They, 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 are running, they were running very edited, um, you know, video footage from it, but they were still having it on their front pages. And in the case of the Sun, the Mirror and uh, the Mail, when you actually click through, you had a video embedded in their stories of the, this propaganda, this terrorist propaganda, which um, was really, really heart-wrenching and uh, was shocking people when they were clicking on these stories today. Just really uh, disheartening to hear. Um, let's talk about the manifesto, or rather, let's talk about these outlets' decision to make the manifesto, uh, which, as David Mack just explained, is problematic. Uh, it is uh, got. Do we still have Mark? Can you still hear us? Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, I can hear you now. Sorry, okay, I, I think it just knocked out. Okay, we lost you for one second. I wanted to talk about the decision that some of these outlets have made to not only publish excerpts of the manifesto, but make it available for download. Um, how are they justifying that decision, and what has been the response? I mean, that's insane, isn't it? it it's not just the fact that there are these gifts. Uh, uh, the fact that the video is playing... Um, within the web pages of their stories, and that's crazy, but we have this insane situation where the Daily Mail embedded the entire 74-page document of the so-called manifesto onto their website. So I was just coming out of the gym today, and I was on the Daily Mail looking through their coverage, and I got down to reading about the manifesto, and I thought, oh, you know, this 74-page document sounds awful and lurid and terrible. And then I actually scrolled and I could actually scroll into the document, which had been uploaded onto the Daily Mail's website and allowed me actually to download it. So this is, you know, complete propaganda. And it was just an insane decision for the Daily Mail Online to make. Um, we, and here at BuzzFeed UK, we started, you know, tweeting screenshots of this sort of stuff from the, cell, the Sun, the Mail, the Mirror. And the response within the hour was pretty instantaneous. All the videos were taken down. Um, the Sun still has their GIF up. And when it came to the Daily Mail Online, I pushed them pretty hard. I said, you know, what is the justification for uploading this document that is a terrorist propaganda handbook? You know, they're just genuinely inspired to cause terror in the, in the population. And they declined to comment, but they did take it down. So they do know that they've done something wrong. Um, UK Deputy Labor Leader here, Tom Watson, uh, he's a very strong MP on these issues with the press. And he said about our stories that it was incredibly irresponsible for the British tabloids to do. Just, I think, uh, you know, some of this stuff gets lost in, within the translation between the UK and New Zealand and the US. There are ethics and standards differences, but I think pretty much straight away, everyone sort of said, you know, these three British tabloids were taking it way too far. Okay. And we are, like you said, starting to see them walk it back 
just a little bit. Mark, I want to ask, what role do tech companies play in all of this? You've got Facebook, YouTube, the, the videos out there on so many of these platforms. Are they trying to get it taken down? Why are they still available? Yeah, I look, there's Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Reddit. They've all come out in the last six to eight hours and said that they're, they're working very hard to actually take down the videos that are popping up. But just before I came on here, you know, I went on YouTube and I could find it within 10 seconds, the, the video, the 17-minute video of the attacker, that helmet footage, that GoPro footage. So it's bouncing around the internet and it's racking up tens and tens of thousands of views. And these social media companies, you know, the biggies, you know, the Facebook, the Googles and the Twitters, they've got AI, they've got artificial intelligence that is scanning their platforms and taking it down as they go. But it's not a perfect system. It's like a dragnet. There's going to be things that slip through the net. And um, as I said, just before I came on here, I could find the video online. And that's causing um, even the Home Secretary here, which is, um, you know, one of the top positions um, in, within law enforcement in the UK, the Home a home Secretary said, Facebook, Google, Twitter, you guys aren't doing enough. You guys, this, can't, this stuff can't be getting through. Um, so we're at that stage now where people are, have let tech companies really dominate the space when it comes to the dissemination of news and information in, the, in our everyday lives. But well, what happens when we have this awful traumatic attack? And we're coming out of the gym, we're standing in the line for a coffee, and we're seeing this, this terror propaganda pop up in our phones. And I think that that's the question that big tech is trying to grapple with. And we as an audience and we as users need to start demanding more of those companies, I guess. Absolutely. Absolutely, Mark. Agreed. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks, guys. Thank you. And to that point, Jen, you asked if we could reshare that information about how to deal with autoplay. We already have a clip out. I've retweeted it. Um, I wanted to read this tweet from J.P. Brommer. J.P. Brommer said, that manifesto from uh, the shooter is uh, the shooter preempting the expected media questions around the chaotic event. Sharing pieces of it uncritically is just giving him the floor to define his narrative and motives on his own terms. Um, it's so important that we don't just share this information without the context, without reading it, um, you know, critically. Uh, this is dangerous. This is dangerous information. These are dangerous images, as both David and Mark explained. So I think it's on media organizations. It's also on us as users to think about what we're retweeting. You know, is this a source you trust? Are you looking at the timestamps? It's a breaking story. The information is updated. So um, we all can play a productive role in this. And I would argue do that in IRL as well. Yes. You know, if you see somebody having a yeah. tough time with the news, reach out to somebody today, talk to them, have a heartfelt conversation. Absolutely. Well, friends, we have uh, another great show for you this morning. I will be talking with author Hanif Adurkeep later in the show about his wonderful new book about a tribe called Quest. But stay tuned. Up next, we are going to stay on top of the story out of New Zealand by going live from the district and talking about what it means for the U.S. government. Welcome back, friends. We are going live from the district with BuzzFeed News White House correspondent, Tarini Party. Tarini, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. How are you guys? We're hanging in there. Um, let's get into this tweet from David Mack. He tweeted, Minutes after expressing his condolences on the New Zealand mosque attacks, President Trump decides to play up religious differences in the United States. 
So, Tarini, what do we make of how the White House is responding to the news out of New Zealand this morning? Right. So Sarah Sanders released a statement this morning calling the attack uh, a vicious attack. She's, she said the United States strongly condemns it. She said the United States would be standing in solidarity with the people of New Zealand. Uh, but then, of course, the president tweeted his condolences. And then, as you mentioned, uh, tweeted very quickly after that and uh, a very partisan uh, tweet that um, kind of took away from his previous tweet about you know, solidarity and, and giving his condolences. Absolutely. Listen, there has been a very uh, heated debate going on uh, throughout Capitol Hill about anti-Semitism in the last few weeks in particular. So I also wanted to ask, you know, what are we hearing from other members of, of Congress, other elected officials this morning? So, you know, everyone in D.C., including lawmakers, are just waking up to this news. Um, you know, we're seeing some statements trickling in. Uh, one statement we've seen on Twitter from Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, who, of course, was at the center of the, the controversy with, um, you know, the, the anti-hate resolution and um, the anti-Semitism uh, controversy from last week. She tweeted um, a, a verse from the Quran. Um, she said she would be in mourning today and, and praying for everyone. Um, so that that is notable, notable, of course. She is one of the two, um, you know, newly elected Muslim women in Congress. So that is notable. But we're seeing um, other statements trickling in as well. And I'm, I'm sure we'll see more throughout the day. Yes. Tariq, I just think of the Trump administration and the ways in which they have acted over these past few years. Thinking of many of the people in Congress and the language that they use. I just have to ask, is anyone calling bullshit on people that are coming forward with kind of thoughts and prayers and solidarity when we are seeing such a divide in this country, especially hatred pointed at Muslim communities? That's a very good question. And, you know, thoughts and prayers, uh, that's something that members have gotten so used to say, saying in moments of tragedy, where whether it's the president or members of Congress. And we're going to continue to see that. I know it is something that a lot of people are tired of hearing and a lot of people want to see more action. Uh, but, you know, in, in these the, this political moment in our country where everything is so partisan and so divided, um, it, it's hard to see anything get beyond just, um, you know, the what members are used to sing, which in this case, unfortunately, just happens to be, you know, thoughts and prayers. Absolutely. I just noticed I went and checked his timeline. Representative Steve King of Iowa has not tweeted in 19 hours, uh, which I think speaks to the point you just made. Uh, Tarini, a difficult morning, of course, but thank you as always for joining us. Thanks, guys. All right. Here's a tweet from BuzzFeed News editor Matthew Champion. If you want to see something else out of New Zealand today, thousands of kids skip school there to demand action over climate change. The kids are all right. BuzzFeed News climate reporter Zara Hirji joins us now to talk about what, in fact, is a global movement. Students across the globe are walking out today to talk about it. Good morning, Zara. Good morning. How are you guys doing? We are doing all right, all things considered. So how did this movement, which focuses on school children, uh, get started? Well, it's a pretty amazing origin story. This movement really just started six, about half a year ago with a single teenage girl striking alone in Sweden. Her name is Greta Thunberg, she, or Thunberg. She has Asperger's, she wears iconic pigtail braids, and she's known for being a straight talker. So in late August, she went out by herself outside of the Swedish parliament building and was handing out flyers about climate change and why she was striking. 
Since then, her movement has really, as you said, it's gone global. There was one point where she spoke last December in Poland at the annual climate talks. She addressed the country, well, the globe's uh, state uh, officials that are working on climate and really criticized them. You know, she told them this was not the time for polite talk and that they needed to start treating it like a crisis and they weren't. And after there, her message really got out. Again, she was amplified when she spoke at Davos and again told the crowd there, they are so concerned with money and they are the ones that contributed to the problem that we're at. And she is demanding action. So we've seen her strikes, these strikes, especially in Europe, draw thousands of students on a weekly basis. In the U.S., there are maybe a handful, a dozen or so uh, kids that are striking by themselves or in groups. But today is the point when there are over 150 actions just in the U.S. alone. 105 countries are going to be participating, and we're really seeing this movement blow up. And I'm really glad that it's getting the attention that it deserves today because it's thrilling to see young people so motivated. Can I ask, are U.S. lawmakers there in D.C. paying attention to the walkouts today? A couple of them are. So Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez met with many of the lead organizers in the U.S. And she said that she's going to be attending some of the strikes in her district in New York today. Uh, Representative Omar is going to be in D.C., so I'm going to be going to the event, which starts at noon at the Capitol. Her daughter, Isra Hersey, is actually one of the lead organizers on this movement. And I'm anticipating that more representatives will be there, but we haven't gotten a full list. Um, Also, across the country in San Francisco, some of the teens there will be protesting outside of Nancy Pelosi's office, and a few of them actually have a meeting scheduled with her staff, and possibly her, to talk about uh, climate action, in particular the Green New Deal. Um, So I think there will be news coming out about more congressmen either attending strikes in their local districts or in D.C. throughout the day. I reached out to several of the Democratic presidential candidates about whether they're planning to attend since climate change has been part of their campaigns. So far, um, all I know is that Jay Inslee is going to be attending one of the walkouts at a university in New York City. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Zara. Good luck out there covering these protests. And everyone should follow Zara if they want to keep up with this story. Thank you. And before we go to break, um, obviously, you know, we're looking for any opportunities to bring some light into the darkness this morning. We have a new development out of New Zealand that I wanted to share from you. It's from BuzzFeed News. Uh, Jill Keats, a 66-year-old woman in Christchurch, New Zealand, was driving to the mall in her neighborhood last night when the shooting happened. She thought she heard fireworks. She pulled over her car. She saw a man who had been shot and was injured. And she was able to pull this injured victim into his... to her car to protect him and shield him from gunfire, give him medical care, and also call his wife. And I just, I want to say her name again. This is Jill Keats, a 66-year-old woman. I want to, of course, thank her. She's already, of course, being praised as a hero. Just one of the first examples we are beginning to receive of, of some good news um, in light of this tragedy. Um, so shout out to her. Absolutely. Instead of this terrible, terrible news story. Uh, listen, don't go away. Up next, I'm speaking with Chloe Cooper-Jones about her story on Ramsey Orta, an incredible reportage there. We'll be right back. Yeah. 
Welcome back. Here's a tweet from Chloe Cooper Jones. Ramsey Orta was waiting to get dinner with his friend Eric Garner when the police approached. Orta took out his cell phone and hit record. I spent a year talking to him about that decision. The result is this story. Chloe joins me now to talk about her story, which she wrote for The Verge. Good morning, Chloe. How are you? Good morning, Isaac. How are you? I'm doing okay. Thank you so much for coming on the show and for this incredibly powerful piece. Um, let's start at the beginning. Ramsey Orta, you know, hits record. What is that decision? What happens in that moment? What's yeah. going on? So um, it's important, and there's a lot that, that didn't fit into the story, so it's important to uh, know about Ramsey that he was not an activist. He wasn't somebody who understood uh, documenting police violence or police stops was an important part of resistance. That wasn't something he understood at all at the time. He was a person who lived in Staten Island, felt that he was under constant surveillance. There had been several instances in which recording what police were saying to him or to someone that he was with was effective or in some way got a result that, that moved the poli- back the police off. So it had just become a habit of protection. Something I say in the article is when you watch that video um, of Eric Garner's death, you can hear Ramsey just saying, oh, you know, here's the police beating up on another person. And it's because, and it, there's a tone in his voice that tells you so clearly, this is his everyday life. So that decision to hit record in that moment it wasn't something about, um, he, it was just an automatic reaction of protection for himself, for his friend. He had no idea, of course, what he would be recording. It was part of his everyday life. It Absolutely. had become part of the fabric of his life. What happened after Eric Garner's death? So immediately after, there were a lot of people um, that stayed around that area uh, in Tompkinsville and he stayed, Ramsey kind of stayed out on the street with people. There was sort of this impromptu vigil of neighbors and friends of Eric Garner's. And he didn't really know what to do. Um, he's, you know, very young, 22, and had this video that he knew was important, but had no clue what to do with it. And went home finally around, you know, a little before midnight. And it all hit him right at that moment, like what he actually had recorded and how dangerous it could be for him. Uh, in the article, I talk about how he was followed home. He was followed by police cars home. That was very normal for him. Uh, and when he got called by the Daily News to possibly sell that video, he did really genuinely believing that it was going to be this incredible key for justice for the Garner family. And we know how that played out. How, why was Ramsey arrested? So there are a lot of things. There are a lot of... <laughs> this is a complicated... Uh, question to answer. Mm -hmm. One of the first arrests comes in August, early August 2014, so just about a month and a half uh, after Eric Garner was killed. It was, importantly, the day after this this arrest of Ramsey, it was the day after the medical examiner, New York's chief medical examiner, had ruled Garner's death a homicide. Mm -hmm. That's important. A lot of people felt that might play a big role in the indictment. Again, we know it didn't. So the day after that comes out, Ramsey's version of his story is he's walking uh, near the Hotel Richmond uh, and police officers jump out of a van, surround him, and they're all holding up uh, cell phones. And they're recording him Mm. and saying, now we've got you, we've got the video, we've got, 
you know, um, we've got the cell phones this time. Now, the police's version of that story is that they had been staking out the Hotel Richmond, which was a known drug location, and that they'd seen Ramsey and this young woman, 17-year-old Abela Cage, coming out of the hotel suspiciously, approached them, and then saw Ramsey take a gun out in plain view and hand it to this young girl and stuff it down her pants. Now, the gun that they found had no bullets, no clip, and no fingerprints. This is August, so mm. we're supposed to believe that he's wearing gloves, <laughs> not touching a gun that has no bullets, no clip, and then in plain view, as the police are approaching, puts it in the down the pants of a young girl. So their, um, their story is that, the police's story is that, yeah, they caught him with a stolen gun, mm -hmm. passing it to a minor. Ramsey's story is that this is never something he would have done. He'd lived on his streets his whole life. Mm -hmm. He, you know, and I, and I address this very plainly in the article. He was a drug dealer, he was a gang member. He was not perfect, yeah. squeaky clean victim. Uh, like we maybe would, you know, get more support if he had been, but he wasn't stupid. Mm -hmm. um, the idea that he would have done this is, it's pretty hard it seems to, to see a clear line of retaliation. What has Ramsey's experience in prison been like? Um, it's been harrowing. He's been moved around a lot of prisons, for one. So all these uh, New York State facilities are pretty far away from New York City. It's very hard to get there. It's hard, especially if you don't have a car. So he hasn't had a lot of supporters that have been able to come visit him. His girlfriend tries to make the trip as often as possible. I took her many times over the course of the year. So he's pretty isolated. Um, and then in the prisons, immediately, when he first went to Rikers and then also when he was moved upstate, all the COs knew his name. All the COs knew about the video and immediately started harassing him. And what I document in the article is that the harassment is it varies wild, like just wildly. And Ramsey, who had spent time in prison before, had spent time in, uh, when he was very young, when he was a preteen in uh, Spofford juvenile detention, when he talks about the harassment, there are these sort of big instances of violence that, that he can actually process that makes sense to him for some reason, like being called racist names or being physically attacked. For some reason, he understands that as kind of the normal violent rhythms of prison. Mm -hmm. And some of the things that he's experienced that he's had the hardest time with are these much smaller, what we would almost call like petty right. offenses, like crushing his food because they know he won't eat. Right. Or making it really hard when people come to visit him to buy food for him. Mm -hmm. Or, and this is one of the scariest things for me, kind of actively building a paper trail of psychological disorder, claiming that he's depressed and suicidal. And, and so he feels this paranoia, whether it's justified or not, that they're trying to build this picture and paper trail that he's gonna kill himself. And I mean, it's a w very wide range of abuse and harassment and psychological like torture that he's faced. Real quick before I let you go, I just want to yeah. ask, this, this story came out, you spent a year reporting on it and talking with him. What has the response been like? It's been incredible. And um, I'm just filled with uh, gratitude for everybody who's read it. You know, this morning, um, unfortunately, it was not an unusual morning in the sense that we wake up with terrible news about the world. Mm -hmm. So here I put this piece out that's over 7,000 words. And so the fact that so many people have just read it 
Like, I don't take that for granted. Um, and yeah, the, the outpouring of support, like remembering who he is, remembering who Ramsey is, has been really uh, incredible. And I've talked to Ramsey and Deja both, and they're aware of the responses and how many people want to send support back to them. And they are so grateful for it as well. So That is so good to hear. Thank you so much for your incredible reporting, Chloe, and for coming on the show this morning to talk to us about it. We're going to tweet the story out right now. If you have not made time for it, please do today. We've got more AM to DM up next. Brendan tweeted this, uh, reading Go Ahead in the Rain now, and I have never read someone so sincere in their coverage of music. It's hard to find a critic who is not afraid to love something and make you care about their opinion. I agree. Jason Biani had this to say about the book. Just finished Go Ahead in the Rain by Hanif Adurb-Kib. I love this book. It's been a struggle for me to explain why this music, of, this era of music resonates as deeply as it does for folks. Now I'll just tell them to go read this book. And I agree. All right, writer and poet Hanifa Durbkeep joins me now to talk about his New York Times bestselling book, Go Ahead in the Rain, Notes to a Tribe Called Quest. Good morning. Good morning, Saeed. Good How you doing? morning. Uh, I'm, I'm doing well uh, because you are here and your work comforts me. It always has. Um, you are one of my favorite music writers. I don't know if I've said this to you. Thank you. Um, but Thank you. all of your writing about music... Uh, is poetic and and comforting and, and so deeply felt and clearly uh, it's resonating with people. Um, before we talk about the book, though, you tweeted earlier this morning that you were understandably angry and heartbreaking, heartbroken uh, about the shootings um, in New Zealand. And so I, wa- I wanted to ask you, how are you how are you making your way through this morning? Um, not particularly well. You know, I'm a Muslim writer. And this book is about a group that has Muslim members. And, um, you know, I find myself kind of angry at the revisionist language that happens around these tragedies. You know, a couple days ago, Joe Biden said to a crowd that America was united after 9-11. And I found myself immensely angry and reflecting on that anger today. Right. Um, And just as uh, a landscape that allows for bigoted languages that, that is baked into the American discourse. Right. Just as that is harmful, this kind of revisionist dialogue is also harmful, mm. right? The relentless desire for a country to pat itself on the back for things it hasn't actually accomplished is also harmful. Yes. And uh, all of this feeds into this desire to reach for a universal we in a time of tragedy when that's just not real, mm-hmm. right? my particular we is not mourning the same way that the white American we might be mourning, right? My particular we is searching for a different thing than the American we at large, right? And so I I find myself frustrated again that we are, um, and by we I mean the larger American dialogue, Mm -hmm. is reaching for the hollow idea of hope instead of honesty. Right, right? the false comfort. Yeah, yeah, and I know hope can be comforting and all that, and I get it, but... um, it often comes at the at the sacrifice of honesty, right. right? And that is kind of how we end up in this treadmill of tragedy and no real accountability for it, right? right? And that's, that permeates globally. Like, it's not singularly an American problem, but America uh, plays a large part in exporting 
both violence and the hollow hope of recovery from violence. Absolutely. It's not just us, but we're very good at it. We're very good at we're it. We're very yeah. good at it. Well, as you point, you know, to, to point to the book, you note America's relationship with revisionism. Um, and so I wanted to ask if part of your goal in, in writing about a tribe called Quest, and you know that many of the members, or some of the members are Muslim, was that actually part of the project, you think, in trying to kind of recentering um, their faith, their Muslim culture in the context of being an American hip-hop group? I think so, yeah. I mean, I, I, it's, it was hard for me to detach the two, mm. right? I was raised Muslim, and I was raised in a household where rap music wasn't always something that was allowed, mm. right? Uh, in a tribe called Quest was in part allowed to enter the household comfortably because the members were Muslim. Okay. Yeah, so, you can, so it's entangled. So it's really, yeah. for me, it's an entangled thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't want to separate them from their identities, all corners of their identities, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Because I think that is, again, how um, dialogue ends up being fragmented and harmful. Absolutely. And, and you've written, you know, essays and different pieces about A Tribe Called Quest and their music. What was it like writing an entire book? That seems daunting in a different way. Yeah, yeah. It was, I mean, I didn't know what I was doing, you know what I mean? Like, I, there's one thing to kind of um, chase after a brief burst of passion with an artist or a brief burst of excitement with an artist, mm-hmm. but it's another to kind of formulate a narrative that makes sense okay. uh, over a long arc. And make sure it's interesting to more than just you. You know, like I, I spent a lot of the time writing this book imagining that what I was writing was only interesting to me mm. and no one else, mm. right? Um, because I had all these ideas and all these passions and all these curiosities about the group, but those things weren't necessarily, they didn't feel universal, right? I didn't. I was not arrogant enough to imagine them as universal. And that humility, I think, is why it was resonating with people so much. Um, I wanted to read another tweet. Um, RS. 500s had this to say. Finish reading the book. Um, finish reading Hadib Adir's. Uh, sorry, sorry, Hadib Adir Keeb's "Go Ahead in the Rain," and then immediately cried when rewatching the Space Program music video. Just a chill Saturday. Um, we saw a lot of tweets like this, like people like reading the book, and it's clear people aren't just like, "I enjoyed this book." It was nice. Yeah. Like it, it, it lit up um, an emotional part of of people. Why do you think um, people are having such a strong response, both to your work, but also clearly to the music? I think it's because um, we are entering an era where this music can be written about with real reverence from people mm. who grew up with it, okay. who have kind of an emotional response to it, and it's not this... Um, and that's new. And it's new, right, where it's not kind of distanced or drowning in this like kind of odd curiosity where it's like, oh, rap was interesting. You know, <laughs> um, We're kind of in an era where the music I grew up with, be it rap or punk or hardcore music, uh-huh. can be written about with a real reverence because I was there. I had I was immersed in it. I had people I love who were immersed in it. Uh-huh. And I am trying to, more than anything, um, push that those affections to the forefront, right? And not be as analytical as um, as as some other writing could be about this music. Uh-huh. And I know there are analytic aspects to this book where I talk about sampling and all that, but yeah. I'm really trying to push to the forefront the fact that I love these songs and people I love love these songs. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it doesn't really rely on a, on a reader to know who A Tribe Called Quest is. I really wrote this book hoping that anyone who has ever loved the band or loved the group might see some of their own reflection in it. Beautiful, beautiful. And, and just one last question to that point. Uh, and they could be remembered for many things. Yeah. Um, but what is one of the things you hope A Tribe Called Quest is remembered for, will be remembered for? I hope. Uh, when people talk about the last album, the album that came out mm-hmm. in the, the week of the election, um, people talk about how angry it was. 
Mm-hmm. Right? Because I think another thing we're seeing today slash throughout the entirety of right. the American experiment is that um, people would rather reckon with every other emotion from the marginalized except their anger, right? There's like a lack of comfort, understanding, very outwardly worn anger. The anger has to be paired with something else, mm. right? Temper time. Right, right. And I loved how relentlessly angry that album was. And I think about that more than anything. Yeah. Wow, been thinking about Black Rage a lot too recently. Well, Hanif, as always, uh, your work, it is insightful as it is poetic, as it is deeply felt and needed uh, on all days, but especially daylight today. Thank, Thank you. you. Move to Columbus soon. <laughs> you are house. my siren song. Yeah, get the house. Get the <laughs> oh, house. man, oh, man. All right. Uh, friends, you can read Go Ahead in the Rain, Notes to a Tribe Called Quest. It's out now. Get it in books. Again, I always say this, buy two copies, one for yourself and one for your friends, because this is about not just the music, but a relationship to one another. Uh, more am to DM is up next. All right, welcome back. Uh, Okay, so we had an interesting decision this morning uh, to figure out should we do fire tweets? Where should we do it? When? Uh, we, of course, want to respect that this is just, it is a difficult day. Um, but, you know, at least some of us want to, it's worth trying to catch your breath, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We're going to do the best we can mm-hmm. with these fire tweets today. All right. Cleanse the timeline a little bit. Like, listen, just go back to an old thing they used to say on Twitter all the time. Just a little sage. Yeah, well, I, we little. need some more. We need to supercharge that shit. But we're going to give it a go. Let's okay? do it. This first fire tweet comes from Heron. <laughs> Heron tweeted, I really love back on my bullshit because it implies, one, you have bullshit to be on. Proud of you for that. Two, you took a little break for self-care. Maybe good for you. And maybe now you're back, you're refreshed, and you're on your bullshit. Okay, that is my my prayer. My prayer is for us to get past this white supremacy terrorist bullshit so I can get back to my bullshit. I have so much bullshit. The good bullshit that matters. That I would love to be on. I really like how it breaks it down. Back on my bullshit. There's layers to back on my bullshit. Amen. Players up. (laughs) Online Moose, you tweeted, science teacher, now does anyone know why the water and oil separated? Me, remembering what my parents told me. Is it because of me? Oh my goodness. (laughs) Oh my gosh. There's like a whole genre, I feel like, of teachers and professors having moments where they were like, this was... I was just asking you about Wuthering Heights. No, see, that's the thing. I relate to the kid that so, somebody's like, how's your day going? And I'm like, well, in the third grade, da, 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 da. you know, sometimes you just overshare a little bit. It comes Too real. out. Too it real. comes out. Yeah, you, know, you got a talk show for that. Let's yeah. work it out. All right. Uh, this tweet comes from You Need to Change. You tweeted. <laughs> I need a girl who I can have intelligent conversations with. Thought, Tiana. <laughs> I just... You know, I'm sorry. <laughs> I just go to THOs. Anyways, you ready for Tweet of the Day? Yeah, let's, let's go. Let's do it. Tweet of the Day comes from Naisha Trout. Has anyone ever looked more like their name than Wolf Blitzer? Nope. Nope. Isn't that? It's really, when you really think about it, just it's rather incredible. Walking metaphor. Like, literally, Wolf, that is the face that. Larry King kind of feel like I, he looks like his name really, but I just think he that's because I've looked. Okay. He wishes, yeah. Okay. But Wolf Blitzer looks like a blitzed out, endangered, hairy animal. 
Anyway, up next, Hayes Brown and I are going to give you a recap of last night's episode of RuPaul's Drag Race. It was a mess, even by the standards of what I've got. Really? It was literally a mess. Stay tuned. It's all, like, messier than mess? It's like, bad. Good morning, everyone. The library is open once more. And today, I'm actually here with Saeed. Good morning, hey, Saeed. Hello. Good morning. Hi. How you doing? Hey, again, cisgendered scum. <laughs> <laughs> also, Sitiji's here again. Hello, Hi. Syntagy. I'm Isaac Fitzgerald. Oh, and today, oh. we're going to be talking about Drag Race. <laughs> Excellent. I'm so glad you could join us again. Wow, what a costume change, Isaac. Thank you. I love tattoos, motorcycles, <laughs> chefs. What else does he like? I don't know. <laughs> Thank you, you. Books. <laughs> Books. Reading. Moving on. Let's talk about last night's episode. Said, have you been watching the season I so far? I have not. Okay, but I have not. Um, but I've caught up. Yeah. Uh, because it's you know all stars. I'm, listen, we are how many decades into this show? It's just a lot. <laughs> At least seven. And I think the rate of new shows and mm. seasons is it's been mm. too much. So I wasn't right. looking for it. But yes, last night I watched what three hours of RuPaul's. Right. Television. Well, you Correct. watched all three. I watched all of it. I watched oh, all of it. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Right. So you're best. I'm overwhelmed. You're ready I'm to here. go as best I can. <laughs> all right. So let's get talking about it. So last yeah. night the mini challenge was. Was fine, I mm. guess. But let's get straight into the maxi yeah. challenge, yeah. where the queens had to create two shevangelical talk shows of their mm. choosing. <sighs> First of all, real quick, what did y'all think of the challenge overall? This was a weird challenge for me because overall, this episode, for me, cemented the fact that this is going to be a great season. Mm. Mm. At the same time, though, given how I felt that the acting was so great, last time. Mm -hmm. This one was a little weird. It's an instance, it's a double instance of writing what you know. Right. These queens didn't know their divas. Right. And many of these queens were twice a year Christians. Mm. I didn't get any, any like, Christian jokes. Yeah. Right. You know? I mean, so many things. I mean, one, you know, I, I you know, RuPaul loves mm -hmm. the references and loves Queens. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm like, how can you come mm -hmm. on the show and not have that kind of pop cultural vocabulary? It's a right. part of our, not yours, but yeah, our. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a visitor. It's fine. Um, so that concerned me. No, but you were also, singing Godspell earlier. You know. Okay. Know. You know. But also, like, why choose Mariah if you don't know right. Mar Mariah's gonna right. sue? I feel like it was a misunderstanding. <laughs> I was so like, we all know like 5% of Mariah, and at that, that, that is like what, 80% Mariah and what they knowledge? Got, apparently, what they got was all from Rue herself, which right. is like, And it wasn't, it was just dragging her. Ooh, it was right. just like, she's lip syncing, she can't sing so, live. So, we'll come back to this more in detail yes. in a second. But let's start though with uh, going to death with Nina West's team, who mm -hmm. chose Britney Spears. And that was like that was angelic. I felt the conversion spirit. Yeah. I felt the spirit in my soul. Yeah. Yeah. And that was part of it. I think they did great because they know Britney. Right. They liked the Britney right. references. Mm -hmm. Ms. Vanjie is so funny. So the moment funny. she opens her mouth, it's just perfect. Oh, right. the, conversion, her hair. the conversion scene was amazing. Yeah. Each, both teams had a conversion yeah. scene where they had to bring in totally. a convert and like flip them over. Yeah. And mm. that one actually sold for me, mostly. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. I was gonna say, I grew up with a grandmother who watched TBN, like mm. actually watched mm. that show. I remember that set, the gold gilded, you know. I've been that, in that set before. I, you look like it. Thank <laughs> you. As a woman of God and Christ. Um, yeah. It was, the one thing I will say that was kind of weird for me with the conversions was that, like, bringing in someone of a different faith and then forcibly converging, like, converging them, like, mm -hmm. that's some Roman shit. Like, mm. that is, that was a little uncomfortable. But also not that uncommon, I feel like, in the mm. evangelical community. Maybe not, like, the right. Southern Baptist tradition or the Methodist tradition. Well, but when you go, they're like, not real Christians. Woo, we're getting oh, spicy oh, on a okay. Friday morning, oh, I Look, see. wherever oh. two or three gather... <laughs> that, was a, that was a Jesus joke. 
That was a Jesus <laughs> joke. Thank you. Thank, you. We'll just, Thank you for having the range. Thank you. You're, <laughs> Thank you I have that. the range and the scripture. Thank so, you. So <laughs> let's talk really quickly uh, the music uh, side between uh, uh, Eric. Ariel Versace and uh, Silky Ganache. They actually, I think, nailed it. Surprisingly. Was that the, the Britney team? Was the Britney yeah, the team? Britney team Britney that was yeah, cute. Was fine. That yeah, was really was Scarlett is not. I don't. Cause Scarlett was talking about like I'm gonna sing. Oh yeah, on and the like, on the Mariah one. Yes. You're like, uh, Ooh. Yeah. She doesn't have the range. Yeah. So let's talk Mariah team now yeah. because what what was that? They chose to worship Mariah Carey, like I mentioned, mm. which was to quote the great Tatiana. That was a choice. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, how how do you guys feel about their overarch? Like they were pretty much doomed from the beginning, and Ruth yes. told them as much. Would yeah. you have been like pushing to change yeah. Divas at that point? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. They were bad in every way. It was mm-hmm. a bad choice. Mm-hmm. They were a bad team. They didn't work together. Whoever right. was in charge, I don't even. Oh, okay. Didn't yeah. look like it. Right. You know, they weren't funny mm-hmm. uh, in terms of the references to Mariah Carey or the mm-hmm. references to like this TBN. Like I, right. I wasn't. I wasn't getting enough of yeah. anything. Anything. They didn't so, write anything that they knew. Which so here's a question for you guys. You guys are both huge fans. When's the last challenge you remember bombing this badly from the get-go? Not like a, they oh. tricked us and it was going to do great, but no, just like completely tanking um, like this. Season 7's acting challenge, where it was the Shakespeare one, oh. where Rue was like, I don't want to hear any more goddamn excuses. Yeah. It was that one. So we have that to go back that pretty, far, uh, though. Which is saying something. That's like yeah. years. That's like, what, Jinx? Uh, that was Violet. Okay, that's, oh, right, that's right, right. a while back. back. Yeah, I would say this is still worse because mm. with the Mariah team, no one, mm-hmm. no one stood out. Like even in the, I feel like the most cringe-worthy challenges, especially the team challenges, like it's horrible. Mm. But at least one person right. has a couple yeah. of moments or a moment. But there were no nobody moments. Nobody at all. <laughs> no moments. So quickly, let's jump ahead. Let, did anyone stand out to you on the runway? Let's start. Oh with you, gosh. Oh. Yeah. Um, the one person that stood out for me was Vanessa. Oh yeah. Because what I realized is that her entrance look, mm-hmm. her first challenge, second challenge with the Libra thing, mm-hmm. this challenge, they're all red. That's yeah. true. Like, top, that to, top true. to bottom. And I'm living red. for them. Right. I'm living I, for oh, the looks. Anything that's red, uh-huh. mm-hmm. I am obsessed with, like, red food, uh-huh. mm-hmm. red food. <laughs> so, of course. And it's fun. I love seeing a queen who, who's learned mm-hmm. and, and grown. And, and Vanjie, she's just great. She's yeah. a delight. Um, what's her name? I, there, first of all, I want to say, what's there are too many name? damn queens. So many show. queens. There are too many so many, many queens this season. Um, Ivy Oddly? Evie, Evie. yes. Evie. I was going to bring her up too. Evie, Evie Oddly, like first of all, Out of Drag is so hot. Want to sleep with them. Oh. Uh, but on the runway was giving me life. I really yeah. loved this jelly. It was a it great was fun. It was weird. My question is, why did she paint her entire body? Why was that necessary Commitment. to cover it up? Commitment. She was out there like, bam. Do you want me to it. grab it? Yes, please. Just yeah. like, painting. There, all like, all there was, there was, was painting of loins. All in there. I like, all. I mean, this is why I'm excited to eat with Evie Oddly does is because it's the performers, performance mm. artist, the weirdness, mm. in the same way that Silky Ganache mm-hmm. is, and this is interesting, it annoys me, but it's interesting that she's using the workroom space mm. to do something. This is a Fair. part of how she's competing. A summoning think, circle. Yeah, it's totally. Yeah. I think Evie Oddly's using that time too. To maybe mm. she's trying right, to weird so out the other queens. We have a lot to get, out, freak them out. We have a lot to get to right oh now because gosh. we have a spoiler alert coming early oh. this week. So secure your wigs right now. Major spoilers ahead. So Nina West team clearly no, won. Up. Nina West, they said, congrats, you win. Vanjie, Ariel, you did great. Get out of here. Yeah, go but save we yourself. have real work to do. So. <laughs> <laughs> they, 
The Mariah team did so oh badly, they all had to lip sync for their uh, life. Rightfully did so. Rue do the right thing here? And um, by saying, all six of you, get up there. I think I love a wake-up call, mm. you know, mm. particularly early in the season. Mm-hmm. This was earned. It was a team show. Like I said, the, every mm-hmm. every possible decision, when she gave them an opportunity to own it, and they were all like, yeah. Th-. So yeah, I was like, yeah, then you all need yeah. to go up there and fight. Right. So yeah. speaking of fighting, we are going to break down this six-person lip sync. Let's get into this mess. Syzygy, please, take it away. Please. Walk Hi. us through this. Yes. I'm a weather woman, and today <laughs> we're going to be looking at some of the— fo- Is it football? Yes. Sure. sure. Some of the football plays about what went down in that shit show. Mm, yes. Okay. Alrighty. So let's go ahead and take it to the imagery. Oh, wow. So, as we can see clearly from the start, the stage, not built for six queens lip-syncing at all. What What's one thing that people don't realize, though, is that the stage actually isn't f- f- like flat to okay. the judges. It's actually at an angle. Interesting. So, the judges are off. Hold on. I'm mirroring for the camera. The judges are off over there. Right. Okay. So... Instantly, all the drag queens always kind of gravitate over to that, that side. Way. That's why they always yeah. go to that side. Okay. Because that's okay. So, which, so they go this way? Mm-hmm. Like your point? Yeah. Okay. So let's bring up the image again. So as we can see with this arrow, the queens are automatically going to head towards that way. <gasps> right. So you know what? Let's go ahead and just start walking through some of this because in my opinion... It was Ooh. trash. It was trash, in fact. How do you even judge a six-person lip sync is something that's bothered you don't, me throughout this. Right. You don't judge a six-person wow. lip sync. Mm-hmm. Like, All that fringe, <sighs> too. Fringe takes up space. It does. And also egos and, mm. you know, that honey's depression and anxiety. Right. So they had a lot of great looks mm. out there. A lot of people trying to turn it out. Not really much room to do much of anything. What stood out to you? Um, You know what? What stood out to me? Let's see if this works. It's right about... Oh. Yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Oh, 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 almost. Oh, Here it comes. Yes. I'm backing up into it. Did she do that on purpose? Yes. Yeah, so, for those of you who remember, Honey Davenport leapt. Oh, there off it is. The stage. <laughs> there she goes, right off the stage, down into one of the saddest dress oh. drops I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. What did you think about that? Did that? It, honestly, there was a moment where I was like, did someone just push her? <laughs> right. Did not right. look controlled. And no. I was like, did she fall? No, and then mm-hmm. she just stayed down there for a minute. As she, she did. should have. Probably. That was the most reasonable thing she did. I was like, yeah, you, <laughs> oh, no. you stay your ass down there. So how do the judges feel about people getting off the stage like mm-hmm. that? So in season two, when Tyra got off the stage to mm-hmm. lip sync in front of the judges, uh, it was at that point that Rue and the producers made a rule. Right. You cannot get off the stage. As we okay. see so, here, Honey did not which, listen to that. Poor Honey. Oh, uh, okay. In season three, you saw it again where they were told not to. Mm-hmm. India got off the stage mm-hmm. and Mimi decided to pick her ass up and bring her back to the stage. Classic. This is so tragic. Classic I was looking right at tragedy. And with with Honey's, oh it was that God. moment that she did that. Uh, yeah. Like death drop onto the floor. Yeah. They were also like um, plastic tiara, like on the lights. Right, a lot I was of worried they were going to break the oh, lights. They'll break it. And those things are going to get hurt. Yeah. yeah. So after all of that, in the end, oh we did have to say goodbye to Honey Davenport. <sighs> Parting is such sweet sorrow. Let's bring up the graphic. Yeah. And another queen bites the dust. Sometimes you just got to set somebody free. Ooh, right? Do them you feel out it was the right time. call? Do you feel like she was the right choice? Um. Quickly now? Oh, quickly. 
In the terms of the competition, yes. In terms of Honey's career being oh, yeah. A, a New York City legend, mm-hmm. York B, point. the person who called out Monster mm-hmm. Bar for consistent racism and anti-blackness, mm-hmm. no, Honey should have made it all the way. Fair. Also, she's my, my sister's friend, so. Ah, very important note to bring up. Yeah. Well, Saeed, Sisiji, as always, thank you so much for joining me and breaking down the trash fire. Awesome. All right. <laughs> Let's take it to the timeline really quickly. What diva would you choose Bye. to pay homage to? <laughs> Let us know using the hashtag am to dm The library is now closed. More oh AMTDM is up next. Stick what around. Morning. Bye. Welcome back. Softy38 had this response to our New Zealand coverage earlier today. I'm staying off YouTube today and reporting that video if I see it anywhere else on social media. Mm. And I think you saw a lot of people Very maybe recent. trying to step back. Um, I, I mean, I know for one, I didn't go near Facebook once I saw that ooh, that's one ooh. of the places that the video was popping up. No, no, no. Yeah. Even under the best circumstances, I try to avoid YouTube and Facebook as best I can for that reason. But yeah, listen, it's... If you need to be off Twitter today, absolutely. Listen, we're here because it's our job, and even then, we're going to take some time off after the show today. That is reasonable. It is, in fact, responsible when we're clear-headed, calm, focused. We're just better at navigating social media. So I think that's a great idea, Softy Dodi. Absolutely. Absolutely. Kirsten Baptiste can relate to one of our fire tweets. Uh, that bullshit tweet is real. My bullshit is nice and marinated, and it's ready to go. I absolutely agree. And I'm just I'm just going to, like, let's peek back into my bullshit just for a second. I see that, um, according to Dave, David Mack, Felicity Huffman has deleted her Twitter account. That's the bullshit I'm trying to get back to. You're trying to get back to that bullshit. You want to get back to that college bullshit. I just want to talk about rich white people being trash. That's what I want. It could have happened today. I want you guys to know there was was talk of it. It would have been day three. I had had a plan. There were developments. There were developments. Yeah. We had stories planned, so, you know... Maybe that story will keep developing over the weekend. Prayers up. <laughs> yeah, prayers up. Prayers up in so many ways, uh, truly. Well, thank you for trusting us with your morning. Thank you to our guests, David Mack, Mark Stefano, Tarini Party, Zara Hirji, Chloe Cooper-Jones. What a lovely conversation. Incredible great piece. piece from her. Hanif Adurakib. A great conversation We stand. Hayes Brown and Sissa G. It was really nice to see you guys having that fun. <laughs> it was a good time. Next week, we have Soledad O'Brien, Woo. Katie Couric, Jahadi Wright-Joseph from us and Christina Milian, plus more. Saeed is going to be off on Monday, so I will be here with Alex Berg at 10 a.m. Have a great rest of your weekend. Please take care of yourself. Be kind to one another out there. Breathe. Breathe.